Hello and welcome to the Tuesday, October 24, 2023 episode of The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer, dead and gone, to discuss their music and or recordings. Now, with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is saxophonist, composer, and arranger, Quinson Nachoff. New York musician Quinson Nachoff has carved out a unique career, exploring the connection between the twin worlds of jazz and classical music in a city that is equally renowned for both. Nachoff gained early recognition as an award-winning tenor saxophonist in his native Toronto, establishing a name as a formidable player, parsing Shimmers of Sonny Rollins, Wayne Shorter, and Mark Turner. His individuality as a composer became evident on his 2006 debut, Magic Numbers, with its groundbreaking blend of a chordless jazz trio and string quartet. Since then, a consistently impressive output of albums, projects, and commissions have demonstrated his willingness and ability to explore both worlds with equal conviction, whether through his 2017 saxophone concerto appearance and commission, Winding Tessellations, with Contemporary Chamber Group Turning Point Ensemble, his 2018 commission for the Molinari String Quartet, or his remarkable group Flux, which features the stellar talents of saxophonist David Binney, keyboardist Matt Mitchell, and drummers Kenny Woolenson and Nate Wood. The group's 2019 album, Path of Totality, received worldwide acclaim for its ambitious, immersive, long-form pieces that blended intriguing compositional approaches with the passion and freedom of jazz improvisation. Nachoff's 2020 release, Pivotal Arc, presented his most ambitious and acclaimed project yet, bringing together virtuoso violin soloist Natalie Bonin with jazz-inflected unit 
featuring two established giants of the New York scene, bassist Mark Helios and drummer Satoshi Takeishi, and adding a wind and string ensemble to realize his unique crossover vision. On October 13, 2023, Nachov released Stars and Constellations, featuring Mark Helios, Dan Weiss, the Bergamot Quartet, String Quartet, and the Rhythm Method String Quartet. Premiered on October 16th of 2023, Nacha featured his Patterns from Nature, a multimedia work with filmmakers Tina DeGroote, Lee Holzlack, Zelcha Bloxik, and Udo Prinsen, developed in collaboration with physicist Dr. Stephen Morris of the University of Toronto. Nachoff continues to compose, tour, and record with an array of cutting-edge international artists while leading his own projects, including Flux, Ethereal Trio, Horizons Ensemble, and Pyramid Project. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Quinson Nachoff. Hello, Quinson. Oh, it's, it's uh, really great to uh, have you as a guest uh, on my show, and I've uh, really been looking forward to uh, having the opportunity to uh, speak with you and learn more about you and your music. I'd like to uh, strike while the iron's hot, get right to two of your most recent projects. Um First of all, I'd like you to tell me and my audience about this collaborative multimedia work that you are doing called Patterns from Nature. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this is the epic project that I've been working on for just over a year now, uh, working with four filmmakers from different parts of the world. Uh, one from New York, uh, Zeljka Blacksick, two from the Netherlands, Tina de Groot, Udo Prinsen. Uh, and one from uh, Vancouver, we have Sula, Canada, Vancouver, Canada. Um, I'd worked with uh, three of them before uh, in a very small capacity um, on a previous release, and uh, I loved their work, so I wanted to, knew I wanted to do something a little more involved. And I'd also, the past few years, been working with uh, this physicist, uh, Dr. Stephen Morris, uh, whose area of research is patterns in nature. Um, and so uh, we met. Uh, when I was finishing up a record, uh, I think in 2016, my last Flux record, um, through a mutual friend, I knew I was interested in doing something collaborative with uh, reaching into the sciences a bit. Um, and so we did something very simple on that one. He just helped me map out a bouncing ball. Uh, and then I used that and that turned that into a piece. Um, and then we had a lot of fun doing that and got talking, you know, had a few meetings and talking about his research areas. And so we we dreamed up this idea of doing a much more expansive project uh, that would kind of explore the different research areas that he's been working on his whole career. He just retired uh, uh, just this past year. So uh, this is kind of a nice uh, end, end of his career, uh, uh, teaching career anyway for that. Um, but the, the four different areas are uh, branches, uh, flow, cracks and ripples. And so we had meetings with the filmmakers uh, all together and he would show us 
a lot of visual stuff, which is beautiful for filmmakers, uh, and, and I think very visually as well. Uh, so that 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 was that was interesting. And then we get into uh, some of the data a little bit more. I mean, I'm, I don't have as deep a math background as what he's dealing with on a daily basis, but we were able to use some of his uh, some of the data from some of exper his experiments. Uh, one of the filmmakers, in particular, Udo. Uh, what Stephen's been working on the past bunch of years has been a giant icicle atlas. So he's in Canada, in Toronto. So mm -hmm. the, the snowy weather is a, a mm -hmm. big, mm -hmm. but he, he built a icicle generator. So this machine that would build icicles. And then he took pictures of it from three dimensions and in granular detail. And so he has tons and tons of information and data about icicles. So for Udo, he's been exploring working with some software that would let him take that and then manipulate it in an artistic way. And so for the final movement at the very end of the piece, he's taken a much more abstracted view of one of these icicles and we're like, we're kind of zooming into the, into the icicle in an abstracted artistic kind of way. And for that movement, I took some of the rippling uh, edges for the piece and mapped that onto the 10 minute piece. So we hear in that piece, it goes from a very wide uh, range throughout the whole orchestra, and it finally ends at the very end in, in a very uh, single note. Everybody's on a single note. Mm -hmm. And then we have lots of adventures along the way as everything mm -hmm. is going uh, mm -hmm. along. You know, I am more and more, uh, or becoming more and more fascinated with uh, the uh, multimedia work that's going on uh, primarily initiated by musicians. And uh, one of the things that I guess was, was sort of a, uh, an awakening for me was uh, I attended the uh, international trumpet guild conference this past uh, May and June in uh, Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And there were a number of musicians who were doing um, pieces that were either interactive uh, with visual media or uh, through uh, computer programs, uh, creating visuals, responding to music, and then, and then of course, back interacting, you know, again. And it's really kind of interesting. And I, as you were speaking, I was thinking, okay, Really having music interact with film or with visuals is nothing new because we've had soundtracks for movies for for years and years. But I think what we're and and certainly, you know, jump in here and comment if you uh, disagree. But what I think we're seeing more now is uh, it, it, rather than the music being just merely an accompaniment to the visuals, there is actual interaction inspiration if you will for the music from the visuals and vice versa absolutely i mean that was that was the big focus for this project was i didn't want to just do film scores you know like it's not mm -hmm. a couple, this was very much we collaborated and developed it uh, right all together so and as i was you know as project leader i would give you know very general i like to give everybody a lot of room to do what they want to do but I would give sort of general directions so that there's hopefully uh, or striving for, even though everybody's got very unique styles, there's a consistency to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this area, um, while it has been done and explored before, I mean, the one thing is the computers are finally at a state where uh, 
it's easier to interact with them now. Like they're, they're at a powerful enough state that they can actually manipulate and deal with large amounts of data. So something something that has tons of data points, such as an icicle now, you can manipulate mm -hmm. and work with in a much more, like in the 80s, 90s, the computers would struggle to do something like that. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm also fascinated with what you tell me about this uh, scientist that you're working with and that the whole idea of patterns being found in nature. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, you know, I find that whole uh, idea fascinating just when we think about the physics of sound and the physics of music mm -hmm. and, uh, and all that goes into uh, uh, just a musical sound or, or acoustics, uh, you know, the whole nine yards is just really a fascinating area for, for uh, exploration. So I think that's, uh, that really sounds very, very interesting what you're, what you're doing. Now, will there be, uh, uh, when you premiere this multimedia work, will there be a, a video of some kind produced that will document it that can be made available and yeah, so eventually that's that? the idea. So we're uh, we're rehearsing. Well, everybody, well, the filmmakers have made their films, so we'll be able to do those. Uh, eventually, release those with the music record uh, mm -hmm. after we do the premiere. Uh, going in and recording here in New York, uh, and then I'm probably I'm going to try to record. We're doing a concert with uh, most of the key soloists up in Toronto in November, so I'm going to try to record that actual concert mm -hmm. as well. So we'll mm -hmm. see how it all mm -hmm. turns out. I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I would say if it was 15 years ago, I would make a DVD, but I mean, that's just, not, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like making a CD now. It's like, yeah. uh, Who owns a CD? you'll be able to get it uh, with them put together. I'm just not sure what the delivery, the yes. best delivery is yet. Yeah. It's really hard to know anymore about, about that because like, uh, the uh, like younger people that I work with, they don't even have a CD player anymore. I have right? to dig mine out of storage if I, you know, <laughs> you know when I, somebody sends me one. And I and I kind of chuckle at myself sometimes when I walk by. I have a, a rather large collection of CDs that I probably haven't listened to some of them in quite some time because, you know, well, technology's changed. We don't we don't uh, watch movies on VHS tape anymore either. So technology, the other area of technology that I find really fascinating is uh, kind of concomitant with uh, the, the multimedia is the use of artificial intelligence. I, I had an interview a few weeks ago with a, a young trumpet player in New York City who's using AI and he, well, he's also a computer programmer. So, I, you know, maybe that's what we're going to have to do from now on is get a degree in music and computer programming. But he was telling me about some of the experiments that he's doing where he can program the computer uh, for the particular proclivities of the other members of his combo in terms of what note do will they typically sing or play given a particular chord change. Hmm. And then that all gets amalgamated into the data, uh, you know, of the of the computer and then the computer based on all of the data from members of the combo will then also be able to generate its own solo. It's yep. kind of, kind of fascinating stuff what's happening out there, but uh, your work really sounds uh, interesting. And this, the, the whole bent with these patterns in nature is really uh, quite interesting to me. So I, I wish you all the best and hope the premiere is a, is a real big hit for you. Thanks.
Yeah, I've been, we've been working hard on it. So it's, it, we're finally at the, it's going to be really nice to finally start rehearsing with the real people now. Because the it, in a jam project like this, it's always the, there's so much alone time just composing the music and then getting the scores to look right for the musicians. Mm-hmm. And then it's such a treat when we finally get to the rehearsals and you realize what, you know, you can really discover what, what, you know, hopefully your imagination and the reality really line up. Yeah. <laughs> it's always like pleasant little surprises. And when you're working with improvisation too, and I've left a fair amount of room for that to interact and layer in the music. So that's always the greatest treat. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Given, given whatever uh, parameters you're faced with as a creative musician and then kind of finding your way uh to a resolution given those particular parameters is always always a challenging yet satisfying way of making music exactly. well the second uh, uh big uh, project that you uh have is a recording that you're uh about to release and that is uh your your recording stars and constellations now i listened to the advanced copy you sent me and i have some uh uh, you know, some ideas about what I think is going on, but I think I'm going to listen to you and you tell us about the music. And then I can either, I can either say, oh, I was right all along or I can, <laughs> you know, okay. or well, I can I mean, lie and say, oh, I was right all along. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, I mean, there's some common themes to the, I mean, I wrote this music uh, about a year and a half ago uh, leading up to the recording in December. Um, it's kind of a, for me, it's it's kind of an important connection point to about 20 years ago, one of my first records I did with a string quartet and Mark Elias, the bassist, and at that time was Jim Black was a drummer, um, where I worked with string quartet and saxophone trio. And so I I haven't revisited this format uh, in about 20 years. So I, I, I was just I had a craving to do it because um, I knew. I, I recorded a violin concerto that I wrote for my friend Natalie Bonin um, in 2020. And so I, it was like, oh, I just love working with strings. So it would be really nice to revisit this format. Um, so we did it here with a, a young string quartet, the Bergamot Quartet. Um, and then I wanted to do something a little different than I did 20 years ago. So I was like, well, it would be really fun to work with two string quartets and not combined as an octet, but really work with two separate string quartets to play off each other. And so I got the rhythm method string quartet for one of the pieces, the the middle piece. Um, The first piece on the record, uh, it's titled Stars and Constellations, and it focuses on two constellations to draw some of the material. The first one is Scorpio, and then the last piece on the album is Sagittarius. I'm a I'm not that into astrology, but I kind of like it as a motif to to work with. Mm-hmm. And I was born on December 21st, which is a cusp sign. It's both Sagittarius and Capricorn. And the uh, Sagittarius is the archer and is always in combat with Scorpio. Uh, or I, mean, I, I'm probably, I'm, I don't know enough to go super deep into it, but that was the, the mythology or the story that was interesting to me. And so I kind of ran with that. Um, so the first the first piece is Scorpio and explores some of those ideas uh, related to that mythology. And then the last piece is uh, focusing on Sagittarius, which is a more recent piece that I wrote. So it is involving some more of this data type stuff. So I used some of the recurring motifs or themes there used uh, like the path of arcing arrows 
into the constellation. So I would say I took the constellation and I had different arcs up to the stars. And that was fun. The, phys the physicist helped me uh, do a 3D model map of that and do some of the, you know, some of the hardcore math to get that working. Um, but then I could play, I have this software program called Opus Modus that you were talking about parameters. It's it's a parametric software program. So it really lets me isolate and work with different parameters of music. And it will take this data and then it'll spit out uh, uh, traditional notation, which is kind of the exciting thing for me. It's, a, it's a, to not have to do that all by hand. And like years ago, I would do a lot of this type of calculation, but I have to sit there laboriously spending hours doing it and then you're kind of stuck because you have to commit to one way of doing it because after four hours of sitting there doing calculating you kind of don't want to start from scratch again <laughs> so but with the computer it's nice because i could try out different you know it's in improvising in a way with the computer so i can try out different approaches and see what i like and then commit to, to a, a, a pathway and then it spits it out in notation i can hooking into my notion notation software and make it look presentable for musicians. Um, so anyway, the 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 uh, to get back to the, the piece, that's what I did for Sagittarius. And then the middle movement with the two string quartets, it's uh, based on the pathway of a pendulum. So it's a 14 minute piece. And I took the sort of the basic, really simple physics for a physicist anyway, simple physics of that, and I mapped it onto this, the rhythm over the 14 minute piece. So gradually it starts off with these big arcs of rhythm and it gets faster and faster as it gets closer and closer to settling in the middle. And then I also map that to different, between the two string quartets. So the, you know, it would focus on one string quartet would be the main focus and the other one would be a company. Then it would switch mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. switch got faster and faster as it moved along throughout the piece. And then harmonically as well. So it would arc up really high on each side and slowly get closer together so i went with a little bit with a bit of a yin yang approach so that it like one side was much darker but one side was much brighter so it would it would swing between you know dark tonalities and brighter tonalities and then eventually settle on, on a on a midpoint mm -hmm. so those were kind of the overall arcing musical gestures and then so i like to take that kind of a maybe that type of a form type approach and then I'm, I'm working with the narrative that all the normal musical elements like I still wanted to have a strong you know a strong narrative and feel like it, it's telling a story and connecting on an emotional level as well so mm -hmm. different, different characters would have different uh, moments to shine or be improvising at certain points um, that's sort of how I approach that mm-hmm mm-hmm Okay, well, you know, I, I had none of that, no <laughs> knowledge of that whatsoever. Uh, but I'll tell you what my impression was when I listened to the music and I thought this could be because it was, you know, had a kind of a a mixture of an avant-garde sound, uh, you know, with, uh, uh, but the, the overall thing that came to my mind was I thought this could serve as a... Uh, soundtrack because that's what came picture that came to my mind for a film noir detective movie hmm. and i don't know if that was because of the saxophone you know in there or or what but that's kind of what i what i could kind of envision as uh as i was listening to the music was uh were you know very dark sort of street scenes and and some sort of uh you know chase and things like that but my preconceived notions of course 
are not necessarily something to map onto your music, but that's just how I responded to it. But I thought overall, I thought there was some really excellent uh, uh, musical ideas going on. And now armed with your description, I can go back and re-listen now with a little more of informed ear uh, because I, I did like the idea of, of I wasn't you know sure to the extent what the two quartets were playing off of each other, but but I I, I kind of like that uh, that idea that was uh, kind of you know I guess as you described it kind of takes me back to thinking about uh, Ornette Coleman's recording free jazz where he used two uh, basically quartets mm -hmm. uh, jazz quartets and they were playing off of each other improvising freely and so forth. Um, so I thought that was a rather interesting, uh, uh, take, uh, your music and, uh, will encourage people to seek it out and listen to it because it was, uh, I thought a very satisfying, uh, set of, uh, pieces. Thank you. Yeah, I, um, I agree with you. I mean, I, my music has been, been described as cinematic often. I mean, it's not like, I wouldn't, I'd say it's a little more, uh, demanding than a lot of film i mean it demands a lot I, I i know it demands a lot of the listener and hopefully engages the listener a little more than a film score would but i i agree with you that i i think very visually uh mm -hmm. when I'm, just as for inspiration and when i'm writing I, it, it's uh even when i'm working with the software i'm continually working with lines and visual elements and then using those to map onto musical forms so it's it, yeah it makes sense to me well, I have to tell you though that the 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 film noir movie that was in my head as I was listening wasn't like in the from the forties and fifties. This was something that was very, like I was having some very cutting edge modern uh, images uh, and things that were very might be very atypical. But that's what uh, the music was eliciting in my hmm. my mental movie house, if you will. So. That's you know, for whatever. Well, I mean, I, 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 I film noir too, so I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally well, different. you know, and, and I used to teach, uh, when I would teach, uh, uh music appreciation, jazz history to non-music majors. And they would, of course, the big question they always will ask because so many, you know, uh, college students become, the majority of them come only armed with uh, experience and listening to pop music with lyrics. Uh, and you play an instrumental piece or talk about an instrumental piece, either in jazz or in uh, the classical side. And their first question is, well, what does it mean? It doesn't have any words. And I would always suggest to them, I said, well, what uh, uh, assume for a moment that that music is a soundtrack. What, what images do you see in your head when you hear that? What comes to mind? And I, uh, and I also, uh, or I, or, uh, the other thing I do too is I will, I will, I get them to think about, well, what do you think was the composer's state of mind when they wrote the piece, or in the case of jazz, what was the, the, uh, improvising soloist state of mind when they created the solo, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, try to, uh, try to get them to think along those lines, because music is a human creation, and and it is uh, the art is is often uh, the byproduct of the artist's uh, state of mind and mental health and physical health and everything else. So, you know, uh, but uh, all that aside, your music 
I, I've not only your your newest recordings, but I've listened to some of your your back catalog as well. Very satisfying and enjoyable music, and I encourage my listeners to uh, seek seek out your music and listen to it uh, if they haven't done so already. Um, well, Quinson, one of the things I like to ask everyone is sort of like their origin story. And so what I'd like you to talk about is who turned the light on for you in terms of music and, uh, and then also what turned you on to jazz? Uh, well, my parents were, were, uh, did electronic music in the late sixties and early seventies. They were, uh, did both commercial and experimental work. So mm -hmm. uh, my uh, upbringing was a little unconventional in a way is because I was exposed to a lot of different types of music uh, really early on. Like I'd be listening to Schoenberg would be, you know, on in the house or Bartok and also Paul Simon. So it's like mm -hmm. a, this, this, uh, this very fluid genre and, and all types of music uh, was just really normal and part of my upbringing. And I kind of, it was kind of funny because when I was younger, I did, I would talk to my friends and they never heard of who Schoenberg was. And I was like, you don't mm -hmm. know who this is? What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, and my parents were also making crazy sounds. They had one of the first Moog synthesizers. They knew, they knew Moog. And so like there would be all the crazy sounds happening all the time as well. And I got to play around with that as a kid. Really, really fun and rewarding. Um, and just thinking about music in that way, uh, that it, that it, you could manipulate it in all these different ways. It didn't need to be, especially electronic music at that time. Like it, 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 it was still even developing like some of the basic parameters of how, how, what that genre would be. Um, and then I got into, my parents had jazz records. I mean, they, they had, uh, uh, Eric Dolphy and Paul Desmond and uh, okay. you know, a fairly good catalog, but like they were, as you get the idea, they were very broad listeners. And so mm -hmm. that, that, that was really important for my upbringing. Um, and then when I, I really got into jazz, what I, what I uh, did, a, I did music in school. So thankfully that was a, that was just a regular thing at that time. Growing up in Toronto and Canada, there were band classes and my dad had an old saxophone. He used to play uh, saxophone and drums for, like semi-professionally. Um, so we had a tenor sax and uh, we decided to go with that for grade five or fifth grade band. Um, and then I did that for a couple of years, like medium interest. And, and I think around seventh grade, uh, I met my first private teacher, did a summer jazz camp. Um, just for my parents were like, oh, you might find this fun. And so I went there and uh, you, Alex Dean, who's one of the, mm -hmm. one of the great uh, tenor players in Toronto. Um, and so I studied with him uh, seventh, eighth grade, and then all through high school. And he just got the teaching gig at University of Toronto uh, when it was time for me to think about what to, you know, where to go for college. Um, so I followed him there and studied with him for a couple of years there. But he opened my ears to a lot of like much more the genre specific very detailed like john culture you gotta listen to it get this mm -hmm. together here's giant steps in there it's like whoa this mm -hmm. is the greatest thing ever sonny rollins and and then i did a suburb workshop i think in 11th or 12th grade uh, at eastman um for five or six weeks and and that opened me up to a lot of the earlier earlier music like they were uh, really pushing learning the origins uh, and really getting deep into Louis Armstrong and uh, uh, 
seeing it more as a progression of like, here's Lester Young, and then we're going to move up through the saxophone lineage through that and see the, the direct lineage and connections from there. Uh, so that was important as well. Um, and another thing at that time that I, I don't know if it, they even have it in the same way, they do it certain places, but there were the public library that was near me was amazing. They had a phenomenal music collection, not just of jazz, but world, world music. I mean, world music is such a strange term uh, that, that I, <laughs> because it's, the, it's not world music, it's the music from Cuba or music from India. Right, right. But at that time, it was lumped under world music, sure. so a huge collection. Uh, and classical music so every couple of weeks I could take out 20 records and I would and so like I'd shed all I'll do my school come home and shed for however many hours and then I would a new record every night you know at that time I'd never heard it, uh, some of some of this type of music before it was just mind-blowing and it was such an amazing resource to be able to do that I mean people engage with stuff much differently now you can Spotify anything and so you can research and learn about music but at that time it was I think just that whoever cure I, I should find out at some point, but whoever curated that collection was amazing. So, and to have that opportunity, that kind of opened up a lot. Uh, it, it definitely mm -hmm. informed how I think about music, having those those different influences. And I, I kind of balance that, always try to balance that in my writing and playing. Now it's always a matter of going deeper into the history and getting better at the craft, and then taking that taking that and trying to do something that's personal and, you know, seeing if I can do something different with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was well, definitely by that period. You know, one of the things I used to always teach my students is that uh, listening to music is like going to the uh, ice cream store. Uh, you never want to just only have vanilla or chocolate because there are so many different flavors, so many different styles, so many different things that you can open yourself up to. And, uh, I, uh, uh, you know, I also used to teach world music, which I would tell my students is like everything else that we can't quite fit into the classical Western European or jazz tradition we call world music. And yet, uh, you know, the more you listen to it, the more you hear how those musics influence uh, or show up in jazz and even in some classical composers uh, work uh, depending on where they're yeah, from so much more fluid i mean i was yeah. very lucky in toronto i got to work with a lot of cuban musicians because it's um, easier for them to get visas and paperwork up there and and just the influences in their music how it's it's amazing like you could hear i could hear so much especially in the piano music so much rachmaninoff but also this deep african rhythmic thing in there that's it's phenomenal I mean, deep, deep music, and they were the ones that were that that were like that. I mean, Cuban music is not world music. This is Cuban music. You guys right. can call it what your yeah. yeah. world music. You know, yeah, it's all it's all about perspective. And yes, it is. Or like, it's just powerful music that mm -hmm. deserves you know a lot of respect and attention and focus. And it's a lifelong pursuit uh, to learn more and more. About <laughs> Yeah, that also reminds me, you know, I used to tell my students, you know, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is you're you're always going to have something new to learn. And the bad news is you're never going to know everything and there's always going to be something new to learn. Yeah. And uh, and that's just in music, let alone, uh, you know, other other areas of the sciences, the humanities, uh, 
uh, is uh, is fascinating, you know, and it I think it's great to have a growth mindset and be open to learning new things. I think that's ultimately the lesson I hope my students learn from me because uh, I know uh, I sure get a lot of joy out of, out of learning new things. I try to do it every day, but anyways. Um, okay. Well now let's uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, just being a musical artist in the 21st century, not just a jazz artist. I mean, it, it impacts all, 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 all of them. Uh, but what is the major challenge of being a musical artist in the 21st century? I mean, there's so many, it's really, I mean, I saw your, you, you sent me the questions ahead of time, but I saw that one. I'm, it's tricky to, it's tricky to respond to that because it's changed a lot. I, like um, over the last decades of doing it, it's much harder in some ways. I mean, streaming has really made it more challenging to get your music out there and get anything financially sustainable back from it. So mm -hmm. and that's kind of changed in my lifetime too. Like when I remember growing up, it was, it has always been really hard being a musician or artist. It, it's just, you know, you know, unless you're doing something very commercial or leaning into something commercial, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's going to be a hard, it's a hard road. Um, and you you have to find other ways to sustain yourself to be able to do what you want to do. Uh, the streaming has made it even harder because uh, it really wants to codify what it is that you're making to be able to market it. Like, mm -hmm. or it was now it's like it really needs to be in a box for that anyway. And I find as a musician, I don't want to do that. As we've been talking, we are talking about all kinds of different musics and being able to you know, great musicians can move between a lot of different areas and interests. Uh, but when it comes to marketing something, you got to really define it and push it. And that with the, with the, you know, as my, I like computers and, uh, you know, but having to fight with the, an algorithm that really wants to define what you're doing and pushing it to a very certain su supposed target audience, that's frustrating. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and having to background it and knowing how they are built and work, it's even more frustrating in a way. Uh, knowing that it doesn't necessarily need to be this way. It's just, there have been choices that have been made that this is how the most money can be made. So it, that is challenge. That is, I find that particularly challenging the last 10, 15 years to see those changes in the industry and to try to find a way to, to keep putting out, you know, like as artists, I think it's, a, you know, we want to keep making records. It's important. You want to document your work. You want to, document the best work that you can you want to get it out to people so that they can enjoy it and so that you can go and perform your work somewhere mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that has gotten a lot a lot a lot noticeably harder there there are so many more amazing musicians now which is a great thing more people mm -hmm. to draw inspiration from i mean i live in new york city it's there are so many phenomenal amazing musicians that mm -hmm. are inspiring here and super powerful with what they do but there are so few places to play that's the real challenge. I mean, it's mm -hmm. it's really hard, um, but we persevere and we keep doing it. So I I don't have I don't have an answer for it. It's just we see it. I mean, particularly in the past few weeks, we see it with the actors. They're mm -hmm. the actor strike. They're uh, you know trying to trying to make sure that the it kind of in a way doesn't go the way that the music industry has like that the that the AI and the streaming services that they're able to get uh, fair compensation. So 
I don't know. I don't have an answer, but I that's that's yeah. the biggest change and the biggest challenge I see for for artists. Yeah. Well, I hear that. I hear that. You're, you know, I because I've asked. You're not the only person I've ever asked that question of. I mean, it's a standard yeah. question. I I very often uh, ask almost everyone I interview because I'm just curious. You know, I mean, you're in, like I said, you're in New York City. You're in probably one of the richest environments for the arts uh, in the United States, if not the world. And uh, and I know the challenges that I have here in uh, the greater Milwaukee, Wisconsin area, because we don't have the same resources or the same uh, population base or the same amount of diversity that exists in New York City. Um, and we're faced with challenges, yet, by golly, we sure are still driven to keep doing it. I mean, it's almost like it's almost like having a a, a disease, you know, <laughs> that you can't. I mean, like like we've all been bitten by zombies, except it's a, a zombie that tells us that we need to continue to make music, share music, and try to convince other people to listen to our music, and uh, and that seems, you know, kind of a, a constant struggle. But yet, when we have those few victories here and there, it is such a satisfying moment. I mean, you you've probably had this happen. I uh, but you know, I it's I love it when I'm playing out in a, a club, and um, I you know, as I usually do during the breaks and and so forth, I usually go out and talk to the audience members and thank them for coming and so forth. And you, I, you know, every once in a while, you'll have a couple that'll say, you know, we've never heard this kind of music before. What is this? And I say, well, it's jazz. Oh, wow. I've, you know, we've love it. It's really great. And, and you feel inside like, yes, you have finally made that discovery. Hmm. And um, uh, a group that I play with, ever playing tomorrow night, is uh, one of my trios. And it's uh, tuba. Uh, guitar and trumpet and i also do vocals and uh and i always kind of yank the audience's chain when i say well thank you ladies and gentlemen and so we're going to present to you a bunch of music you never heard of by a lot of people that you never heard of you know because we do a lot of really old old uh standards or old jazz tunes and uh and uh but it's funny because i can seem to get them to to hook in if this you know something i've never heard before oh i've got to check this out and it's then when they say they like it oh wow you know um you know it's it's i get it's all it takes is those one or two whoops microphone overboard <laughs> we're all right um you know one or two little victories that just seems to be enough to keep us keep us going and uh so yeah, that's a challenge. It is a challenge. Um, well, the the other thing that I'm I'm curious uh, to hear you speak about because you do play a lot of different kinds of music and have been exposed to a lot of different kinds of music. And you know, if we just want to talk about jazz, we don't have to just talk about jazz. But jazz, for exa an example, comes in a lot of different flavors. Uh, I mean, we still have you know coexisting we have early jazz we have avant-garde jazz we have bebop hard bop post bop soul jazz swing uh fusion all these different labels of course and then of course the music itself has been around for well over 100 years um so what is it 
that you think, Quinson, is the essence of jazz across all of its various flavors? And then how does jazz vary from other styles of music? I mean, that's a huge, yeah, the huge can of worms you're opening there and it's very challenging to, to try to pinpoint, which is, I think, one of the beautiful things about jazz is it's slippery. You know, like, so what's the defining characteristic? Is it swing? Well, not necessarily, because you have all the ECM universe of music that's beautiful as well, and it it just doesn't swing in the same way. Then we can also be more malleable with what is swing, too. I mean, I, a lot of musicians will say Stravinsky's Rite of Spring swings really hard. I mean, <laughs> but it's a different, that's different. Depends <laughs> on how conservative you want to be with, with, sure. with any of these uh, thoughts. I mean, some folks would say it's, it's coming out of the blues, but then there's a, there's more a lot of contemporary classical composers are writing with music that's coming out of that universe now in especially younger people that are that grew up with listening to that um so I, I i don't think there's is it improvisation maybe but there's a lot of other genres that do improvising as well mm -hmm. is it is cuban music uh, that uses improvising or is indian classical music uh, mm -hmm. not i mean mm -hmm. or baroque music mm -hmm. in particular mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. and you classical music came from a huge improvising tradition and i it's a, such a shame that that's lost but that's a whole other conversation sure um so it isn't necessarily the improvisation but those elements are certainly there for me i think it's that it's if you're drawing on the sort of of the brilliance of the uh, of, of the of the of the black american musicians that led this it, you know if you're drawing on those sources respectfully that then it feels to be like it usually feels to be like it's coming from jazz mm -hmm. you know? and, mm -hmm. and i don't know I, I have a hard time with this because i've had issues with people saying that some of my music isn't jazz and needing to define it for me mm -hmm. i don't really feel i need to define it like i feel like i feel confident i've been you know working really hard and really diligently and respectfully as i can uh, to be respectful of the sources and you know, transcribe and learn from, uh, you know, uh, from the you know major figures in in the in jazz. But I also want to draw from other major figures from other areas too, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. almost with equal measure. So it's it's not it for me. It's not critical that I define it and pinpoint it and say I am making jazz music and this is jazz music in this in the twenty first century and it, it, like. In a way, like I, you know, like I know the the bebop folks didn't like it being called bebop. They were just making new music, you know. And and it seems like almost every every generation that's had their new music labeled something. I don't think the hard bop guys were like, oh man, we're really gonna sit down and make some hard bop or po now it's post bop, which I don't even really. Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure what that is. Like uh, for me, it seems so. I mean. A lot of these terms you know, is monk, monk is bebop. That monk and Charlie Parker, that both those things are bebop. Okay, I can see definitely some connections to it, but it's also they're so radically different within that mm -hmm. genre that it's it's uh, or within that subgenre, and they're both amazing, and I love both of them. So for me, it's not so important to to really define it. I try to be respectful of the tradition I'm exploring and trying to trying to draw on. 
I like that jazz is slippery and that it embraces it it's in its best forms or in its best ways it, it seems to it embraces a, a lot of diversity and I think mm-hmm. that's the beautiful thing and one of the best things about it well I you know I yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I and I I used a different metaphor. I used to tell, like I would tell my students, it's like trying to grab a handful of jello. And the tighter you squeeze, the more that <laughs> slips out between your fingers. And uh and and yet, you know, we also have to remember that that uh, even Bird listened to Stravinsky. You wanted know. to play with Ravel. And exactly. And uh and and Bix Beiderbeck was very much in, you know, into listening to WC and Ravel and the impressionists and, uh, and, uh, and that sort of thing. So, I mean, there's, if you want to call it crossover, I, I don't even know that that's an appropriate term. I, I think that uh, what maybe Miles Davis was the one that had it right in his, on his albums that he issued in the seventies, he used to put on their new directions in music. And he didn't like, didn't use the term jazz. It was new directions in music. And maybe that's, maybe that's the smartest uh, way to go about, you know, labeling whatever it is that you're doing. You know, I also happened to think about while you were, while you were speaking, um, I don't know if you have seen this new documentary that's out about Wayne Shorter. It's on the list. Can't wait. Okay. Are you what you okay? I'm glad it's I I have only watched the first episode. I guess there's like three episodes. And it was very fascinating uh learning about uh Wayne Shorter's background growing up and his uh musical training and his musical uh exposures and also his uh strong interest in art, uh particularly well writing uh, comic book uh car- uh Graphic comics. comics right yeah yeah and i thought that was that was really fascinating and uh and then uh but uh yeah i highly recommend it if you haven't seen it yet and and uh but this i this idea uh one of the things that i'm just seeing as a music consumer more happening more frequently is a lot of this hybridization if that's a, even a good word to apply to music of both artists who write in the typical classical slash art music vein incorporating world music and jazz and things into their scores for symphony orchestras and likewise like yourself uh incorporating string quartets into your work uh, not to say that just because it has strings makes it classical music but a lot of people do think that way um and and you know adding those particular colors um i mean what the heck Do, are we gonna you know call paul mccartney's eleanor rigby classical music because it he recorded it with a with a string octet instead of a rock band well no but it is it is a great way to draw upon that vast palette of sounds whether we're using you know, regular uh, violin, viola, cello, uh, mm-hmm. or we're using synthesized sounds or, uh, you know, and, and I have a confession to make. I actually get overwhelmed by mm-hmm. the variety of sounds that can be made. And uh, about a year ago, I invested in a, in a new little, um, uh, well, it's a digi trumpet is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, 
and I can show it to you real quick. Oh, fun. Yep. Yeah. And nice. uh, it's uh, was invented and it's manufactured by a guy up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And it basically, it's a MIDI controller. Oh, yeah, and yeah. can run, you know, but I, I, I can take an, uh, a synthesizer app on my iPhone and hmm. Bluetooth it in and run that synthesizer app. And then, you know, through, but I am just overwhelmed by, by the hundreds and hundreds of different sounds. I need to just pick one and, and go with it for a while. Cause it that's just, even, that's even the set sounds. Like once you get into it, oh, yeah. you want, you're going to want to, I mean, the deeper you get into it, you're going to want to craft your own sounds. Yeah. <laughs> I know yeah, it. It I just it, agree it, with you. I mean, that, but that's sort of the, I mean, what you're describing is kind of the, just what the modern, the last 30 years is like how we we're just so much information and so many cool things and excite. I mean, it's been in a way the internet has opened up all this information access which is great we can spotify is great in that way or streaming services that we can at our fingertips we can access all this interesting material that we might want to draw on and use uh and explore the problem is we only have one lifetime yes. <laughs> and to really get to a point where you're not just glossing over something I mean, it takes some focused hard like years of hard focused work to really be like if i mean the people who do the electronic music with a lot of depth they're spending hours really working on that and you know it's important i think for us to to be i mean of course and jump in and explore and enjoy that because it's mm -hmm. it is super fun and it's something new and it's exciting but that if we want to do it you know, we we just want to get deeper into something too. So it's important to carve out time if that's something you want to incorporate or for me that I would want to incorporate more into what I'm doing. I need to carve out regular time to really devote to it to like, to you know, it's like you can't play jazz without, you know, traditional music, jazz music, even without really spending some time like taking care of business. And so the electronic thing is the same. It's the same thing in a way to really have a, to do it where you're not just like, you know, plugging and playing a sound to like mm -hmm. find a sound that is you, that you really connect with and have, have it, you know, that's a whole world too, which is great that we could do that. But I think that's the biggest challenge I see for younger people when I'm, when I was teaching at college and that that's, that's the challenge. There's just so much stuff out there. That's so interesting and people doing really amazing, really interesting things. And it's important for my recommendation what to them was like, okay, so you got to weed out. There are too many things in a lifetime to really do. You need to like really pick what's important and then spend some time doing that for a while. Mm -hmm. At least deep enough that you know that, that you know how little you know about it in a way. You know, and then it's that, as I was saying earlier too, it's that balance of like continually getting deeper into something. Like I'm still practicing playing standards and playing over changes and playing like, learning more language and learn from the from the tradition and learning better time feel and you know that's a huge part of what i'm doing on a daily basis still but mm -hmm. also balancing that with like new directions so that i'm not lost in the past but it's i think it's key also that you can't you can't just be you, or for younger people especially but we don't want to we don't want to be just like flitting around from 17 different things which is in a way what the internet and the yes and access to things really encourages um it's important to to 
focus sustained work on something is really that hasn't changed human beings the past thousand years in order to really acquire a skill and get good at it that that real focused energy is really important and and yeah. that's what audiences will feed off too like you're sure when they when somebody when you hear a real powerful a really powerful artist or performer people respond to that like they because that's not something you see every day you, right. somebody who's really dug deep into what they're doing that just comes across more than any of the content of what they're what they're you know it's not about the notes or the melodies or the harmonies or the tunes or even what they're doing like somebody you that's shocking you know when you see something hearing Wayne Shorter and that group touring was just like wow <laughs> that mm-hmm. was that was wow so the, the the power of of the focus and intensity and somebody really committed and, and the integrity of what somebody's doing. You know, I, I, I hear you so many different things coming, coming from you. It's almost like, you know, we have to create the limitations for ourselves uh, because otherwise we're, you know, it's like I, I used to, one of the keywords I used to tell my students is that mediocrity is excellence that's spread too thin. And I think that is something that we can easily fall into. I mean, because it's like, I, I could, I, I have interest in so many different things. I mean, I, I love early music, jazz, opera, you know, all kinds of music, but even things outside of music that uh, occupy my time, uh, primarily reading and, and, and researching and, and it's, uh, you're right. There's only 24 hours in a day and uh, to keep up on, uh, you know, what you have to do to, you know, maintain your, your, just your level of competence as a performing musician, let alone take time to experiment is yeah, it's, it's challenging. But the the good news is I, I, I always say there's a good news side to that. You're never going to run out of things to do. No, of course. I mean, there's always yeah. going to be something new, somebody new to learn something from. And I, I, I find that's exciting, you know, and, and it's like, I wake up in the morning and I go, what new thing can I learn today? And I, I, I think that's really, uh, really kind of a cool way to go about things. But, uh, but yeah. yeah, that, that focus of, of, uh, you know, uh, trying to, trying to figure out exactly. And that's, that's why I tell people, you know, I, it's like I, I know I've been involved in some commissioning projects. And of course, the the first few questions that a composer will ask you is, well, uh, how many minutes long do you want it to be? And what's the medium? And then they'll start talking about, you know, so if it's like, you know, I want an eight minute uh, piece for concert band. Okay, what type of piece do you want? Like an overture piece? Do you want something, you know, that's multi-movement blah 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 you know because and the composer's asking this not to be not to be a hard case but rather to begin to establish some parameters for which their creativity can work because if you just go to a composer it's like if i always say you quinson write me a piece of music and you're going to go what do you want and i go well i don't know and then your response would probably be well how do you expect me to know yeah (laughs) not just gonna it's not just something that is going to pour out of me uh, without some direction and i and i yeah yeah and i think that's like with what you're talking about in your work with the physicist and looking at these patterns and things then that serves as a a, some sort of concrete uh, base for your your uh, inspiration 
and your yeah, work. Well, you know, and, exactly. Even even with with I mean within that within each sub area that he's researching, there's inf like what all, not it felt like infinite amount of different things that we could ex like dig down deep into, and it was really important. Exactly what you're saying here, like each movement I had to define like these are the very small parameters that I'm going to work with because then mm -hmm. otherwise there are too many things you need like a few parameters so that it feels like the thing has a mm -hmm. is a thing <laughs> it's a they're very general terms but it's important to to define something and give it parameters to work within so that it can have some substance right right yeah but and what what came to mind I, I, I that sort of trans that there was specific but also translates into more general life terms of what we're talking about i, I saw a master class with vince mendoza great arranger and also trumpet player um and composer and, and he was talking about when you're working on a score it's really important to manage your energy and so and he was talking about like actual physically like you can look through the score and just the amount of ink on the page will tell you how much is going on and how you're managing your energy throughout the score but that also I really feel that applies to life. Like the older I get and the more I think about it, that applies to life and lar larger sweeps of time as well. Like how you're going to manage your energy for the next year or even, you know, like five or 10 year sweep. Like, do I want to, you know, because it takes that lot. Like I, I studied classical counterpoint or Baroque counterpoint and Renaissance counterpoint as well. And to get any kind of competency level with that, takes years you know mm -hmm. it's, it's like learning a new it's like learning electronics or learning mm -hmm. a new and or learning a new genre like you, you know like it takes a lot of commitment and a lot of years and it's important it, if i want to get deeper at this i need to carve out time in the things that i'm doing to to make regular focused time i got to manage my energy so that i have energy to do that in the within a year within two years within five years I think that's important to think about. I don't think you can, you can't, life is often too unpredictable to be able to say, oh, I've got my 30 year plan here and I'm going to plan mm -hmm. out all this like, yeah. year, by, yeah. you know, year by year. But I think for, again, for younger people, I, I found that this was helpful advice sort of coming to this realization to sort of have some, have some goals and think about the most important things that you really want to try to achieve in that five-year period mm -hmm. or 10-year period even and it, it, they change of course but i think it's important to kind of at least have some goals that you're gonna mm -hmm. strive for rather than just kind of you know hoping it all works out yeah yeah i think there's a, there's a lot of wisdom in that because uh you know uh otherwise you know, one day you wake up and you're 65 years old and you're wondering, where did the last 30 years go? You know, kind of thing. Uh, well, Quinson, I'm I'm curious to kind of dig down a little bit with your creative process. And uh, I, uh, I'm curious to know that when you write an original piece, what typically comes first? Is it a melodic idea, a rhythmic idea, a particular set of chord changes, or do you start with some sort of uh, maybe imaginary lyric or or other particular mood to inspire your writing? Well, as we sort of have discussed, and you just mentioned about a commission, like context is really everything. Um, like it depends on what I'm writing for, what the instrumentation is going to be. Sometimes who the people, you know, often who the people that I'm going to be working with will will determine like what I 
you know, how crazy I can go or whether I got to rein it in more. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things, those I mean, I've done those specific things in certain contexts, but at this point, it's more kind of project-based. It's like, who am I going to be working with? How long? How much music do I need to write? Um, I've got a quintet record that's in the can that I that's I need to mix and put out. That'll be one of the things that'll happen next year. Um, but for that, it was more like, I wouldn't say song, but tunes smaller, you know, 10 minute pieces, uh, eight to 10 minute pieces, rather than these big sprawling, you know, like the patterns from nature thing is a 40 minute work. And that, mm-hmm. that was a big sprawling uh, piece that took a lot of, a lot more thought before I got started with a smaller piece and something that I know there's going to be more improvising. Um, I generally try to come up with a, a, whatever the motivation for the piece is. I've made a couple of notes on this stuff too, and how, like, what I think is important in terms of how it's going to evolve, what I'm trying to say, narrative is super important as well, like how I want to start something and how I want to end it. So I'm thinking at the at the outset, much more general, and I, and I won't get into like thinking about specific, I mean, of course, there are exceptions. Sometimes I just have a really fun motive, the <laughs> melodic idea that I want to work with, and that'll be the, fo- the focus mm-hmm, of the piece. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. More so at this point, I, I really like exploring form, and the computer thing lets me play with that and manipulate that more than I was able to before. So I'm enjoying being able to do that, like sort of map out how the form of the piece is going to change over however long it's going to be, like eight or 10 minutes, even with mm-hmm. improvising, like how that, that will sort of lead me in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So I'm about more of these, you know, some overall arching theme or concept, and then I'll dig deeper and deeper into the specifics of how that's going to be. So by the time I'm actually sitting down and either writing pencil and paper, or playing with the computer or improvising something, I kind of have a, a, a pretty good idea of how the overall shape is going to happen. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I found I was just sitting there and I things would end up exploding and being way too long uh, sure. or, or they would need editing after the fact. And now with projects with deadlines, I don't have the luxury of the time to do that. I've got to commit. This is going to be X amount of time that I can devote to this. So I got to make sure that I have something mapped out that I know that I can achieve that in the mm-hmm. time. And I found like having... Like sort of having certain milestone moments in the piece uh, really helped me uh, do that. I don't want to, I don't like overdoing it because I like improvising, you know, mm-hmm. improvising and I like letting something take its own course at times as well. But that uh, kind of mapping out milestone moments and then having a binding force for the piece, whether that's one or two things, maybe melodic, maybe, maybe like the pendulum piece we talked about, mm-hmm. like those certain elements and strictures that I was going to work in. And then when I got into it, I played around with all of that. So it's a, you know, whatever, whatever felt good and good, how the narrative was evolving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, another question I was going to ask you is about your approaches to the various elements of, of, of music, but I want to change just a little bit. I want to ask a different question. It's not one that I submitted to you ahead of time. So if you're not comfortable answering it, you don't have to, but I think you'll be okay. I'm just curious because on the new newest recording, you're working with strings mm-hmm. and in fact, two string quartets. Now was your, was your, um, uh, a conscious approach or your conscious choice to use strings from a 
timbral standpoint in terms of how it would play off of the your solo saxophone i mean why not a brass quintet why not a, a woodwind quintet or or a saxophone quartet uh, uh was there a particular conscious reason why you chose strings well i mean it's it's timbral it's okay I mean, I do have a project with, it's funny you should mention, I have a brass quintet project with drums and saxophone that, that we've, uh, I've got a bunch of music that we just, I haven't had a chance to record yet, but we played around New York a bunch of times working with some of my favorite uh, brass folks here uh, in the city. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. so that, yeah, for that's a very, I would write very differently for that um, because, you know, the, with a brass instrument, with brass instruments, as you know, as a trouble player, brass instruments, I mean, you get to a certain register and it's uh you know that's the focus of attention <laughs> yes you yeah know, we do tend has, you know, so i was gonna say yeah when we're up in that uh above the staff we tend to grab the attention yes yeah. we do. and that's all part of our giant inflated egos too ah, yeah. <laughs> but, but as an orchestrator that's exactly what you need at a certain you yeah. know that's what's called for at a certain time and it's so amazing to be able to to use that in the palette of like okay and also all the mutes and colors that the that the brass mm -hmm. can use as well and the different combinations of mutes then it sounds like this crazy woodwind kind of ensemble or blends great with strings and woodwinds with the mutes yeah i was thinking i happened to think about yesterday i was in a in a rehearsal with a klezmer band mm -hmm. that uh i sub with every once in a while and the cantor who's go going to sing with us uh uh, was asking the clarinet player if he could, uh, if he could go up to us is, uh, you know, how high could he go? Right. Because the, the cantor was saying, well, I'm going to end up on this, this F high F. And they said, I want you to see if you can match it or surpass it just for an ending note, you know? And, uh, and I thought, okay, well, that's an interesting, interesting way to, to kind of end it, it, you know, with a, not with a period, but an exclamation point. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting point. to know. Yeah, well, I think colors and I think strings. Um, by the way, I was going to mention to you, you might you might seek him out. I have a good friend of mine named Ben Kono, who is a uh, you know ben? ben. I play with Ben all the time. And oh, okay. Well, I don't need to, I don't need to tell you anything. But Ben, uh, yeah, Ben and I were at North Texas at the same time. We did oh, not right. know each other at North Texas because we oh. were in different circles. By the time he was there, I was I was pretty heavy into my PhD work, so I was. I was, you know, uh, but of course I knew of him because of his playing and the, in the jazz, uh, one o'clock jazz band and so forth. But I know Ben is also doing some work with uh, 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 woodwinds and strings. And mm -hmm. I, you obviously would be aware of that too, if you know Ben. That's well, I'm nice. glad to know that you know him. That's wonderful. He's one of my favorite musicians and people to play with here in the city. We, we I mean, he he does so many of the different big band things that yeah. uh, we work in, but it's always a treat to work with him. And yeah, I love his music yeah. and uh, everything and a great guy too. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes, he is a great guy. He was a guest on my show. Oh, I guess probably about a year ago, maybe not quite, but anyways. Um, okay. Well, we're just getting down to the end. I, one thing I'm always interested to, to know, and this is primarily for my younger listeners. Uh, you know, you do a lot of gigging and uh, I would, like you to talk about what you have learned from your association with other professional musicians in New York City and elsewhere hmm. that you could push 
you know, that you could share with some, some sage advice based on what you've got more etiquette or are you talking just like wisdom passed along from other musicians? I think things that maybe you've learned from other musicians that have to do with being a good professional musician. Hmm. Well, I mean, not to suggest that you had no skills whatsoever when you started and had to be spanked, but, but I mean, things maybe that you've learned from observing or from talking or just your interaction with other top flight professionals. I mean, the thing here in New York is it's just, as we also mentioned earlier, is it, it, it's just so dense. There are so many positions and the level is like, it's really like, I mean, that's why we're here. Or, I mean, that's why I, I came here is the level is like nowhere else. And the amount of musicians here is like nowhere else in the world. So that changes the dynamic a little bit about how you need to carry yourself and act professionally. Um, again, yeah, you said like, not that I wasn't like this before, but I mean, you you always, you have to show up completely prepared. Otherwise you're just not gonna get called again. There are just too many other people that will show up prepared. So you have to show up prepared. You have to show up and be ready to work, and be on time, do the best job that you can and be pleasant. I mean, that everybody's just so, I mean, New York is such a grind anyway like just getting around the city it's very big it's polluted it's uh it's just a hassle it's it's not you know it, it takes you 40 minutes to get anywhere pretty much you know but that means that when you get to doing the music everybody's happy to be there like you just want to get into the music mm -hmm. and i'm playing with the best people on the planet i mean i'm working with ben Kono, so and mm -hmm. and, and, and i'm you know tons of other folks that are on that level and working at that you know like that so that's and that's kind of the beautiful thing is that's kind of the level that you get used to here so that like everybody in the band is at that top level they're phenomenal musicians they can play ridiculously in tune in time kids solo that doesn't happen anywhere else really in the world to the same extent the top players everywhere else are phenomenal but it's not it doesn't run the same kind of depth where there's like 50 100 people on your instrument that could do as equal if not greater or different uh, job so that changes the working dynamic in a way and that you just you always have to show up and be ready to play and be be you know be in a good mood about it. i mean you just can't help but be in a good mood about because that's why we're all here <laughs> so sure. that's the great thing despite uh, all those negatives that you talked about the despite city all the challenges you, I mean, that's you, the you know yeah, yeah i mean despite all those challenges you still love it yeah and yeah. for putting together projects myself um when i'm calling people i know that they're going to show up and they're going to have taken care of business with the music they're going to be happy to be there and they're going to do an amazing job on it like that's just a given other places in the world it's just not the same the yeah. same level of commitment and so that's yeah. I, I, that's that's what it but I, I think no matter what you should you know as a musician you should always try to show you know show up on time be professional be pleasant yeah. do the best job you can don't give somebody a hard time like be respectful uh you know even if something isn't the way that you would necessarily want it to be done you know unless some, i think the older i've gotten to unless somebody is asking for your feedback on something generally just to go with the flow is the, the, the great side man wisdom you know like mm -hmm. you know if you're if you're asked then that's different than you you know you share what you, your thoughts are or if something really you know something minor like 
if something could be notated and it would be more effective if it was like written in 5.4 instead of 5.8, I'm happy to, you know, comment on that. But yeah, I mean, generally the level is so high here that that's not really, sure. that doesn't happen, that kind of thing doesn't happen as often. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. I, I, I'm, and I'm envious of that in many ways because, uh, as a band leader where I am, I, I, you know, I, I don't have that same big pool and uh, I sometimes have to, uh, compromise to, to get enough people together to play, but it's, I still love it. So, you know, yeah. despite well, you, any negatives, you go in and you know that, then you know that, you know, yep, the, that's the, true. Then you make it, then you, the, you know, either write music that, you know, I, that's, I mean, in part, that's why I left Toronto. I love Toronto. Amazing musicians. Oh yeah. Type of thing. It's great. I could still put an amazing band together, but if one of the musicians or a few of the musicians couldn't do it, then it gets tricky, you know, yeah, get, yeah. or I would have to write a different type of music that then, you know, here I can write what I really want to write and, right. and, and, and know that I don't, I don't need to explain, like, I don't need to explain stuff in the, in the same way. Like here, people have just the breadth of what they listen to and experience too is, is, is different. So I, I, I don't even need to say, Oh, well, I'm thinking about this or the, the other thing you might want to mm -hmm. check out these things sort of where I'm coming from. They already know and they've listened yep. to five things that I probably want to check out. So. Yep. Yeah. I imagine that's, that's, it's, there's just a huge fusion of collective, creativity knowledge smarts ability all that just there i uh, yeah i'm i'm very envious that too. i mean if you're in a smaller community there are always amazing i mean there are amazing musicians everywhere and yeah. get together with them and learn from them i mean that's yeah. i learned so much from all the amazing musicians in toronto i still i mean i'm happy to play with lots of my friends up there and mm -hmm. doing creative, cool work um so that, yeah. that I think that's the thing. Find people that you like to work with and like develop a rapport with them and play their music. Try to put yourself in a lot of different contexts. That was really helpful growing up. Like getting sure. to work with uh, I worked with Hilario. I mentioned the Cuban musicians. Hilario Duran, this amazing piano player from Cuba. I got to record with him and play with him and tour with him. I mean, that was a huge learning experience to to just work with somebody who's a master musician and. It wasn't, a, a, he wouldn't, he wouldn't explain things to me. It was just learning by getting to play with him. Mm -hmm. so I got to, you mentioned tuba. I got to tour a little bit with Howard Johnson uh, on a project, on a friend's project a few times and just hearing story after story of like all the, just learn by, by the, by the, the, the stories that you would tell the people in the context of the, how he dealt with this, oh, yeah. that situation. And then again, playing with him, it was it wasn't. Uh, it's very different than the academic universe, and I think that's super important to to have as a musician too. Like it's it's not. He's he was never sitting down and explaining. This is how you go from A to B, and this is what's going to happen here. It's like you're confronted with something, and you need to figure out how you're going to interact with that, or blend with that, or 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 respond to that. And that that's that's a that's in. The music that, that we do that needs to that's it's about that interaction and learning from people that way it's like having a conversation and you yeah. you learn by somebody telling you something you weren't expecting them to, to talk about mm -hmm. well i i always I, I you know i uh it's the other thing i i still tell people is 
you know, we have two ears and one mouth for a good reason. It's twice as important to listen as it is to talk. <laughs> you got yeah. the right sayings. Yeah, well, I tell you, these developed over the years of of, of being an educator and and uh, trying to get across uh, talking about our about the art of music to to our musically lay people and and uh, and that sort of thing and all these little witty quips just seem to pop up somehow but hey well uh Quinson, if i were to be able to come to new york in the next few weeks where might i be able to hear you play live well the premiere for the patterns from nature is the big one that's happening on october 16th that's monday after college so it's a free concert so i would uh that's that's the big one that i've been working on okay last year and i yeah, it should be really, really exciting. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> well, I, it sounds sounds like something to to uh, be very excited. I'll look forward to. Uh, I won't be able to make it. Sorry, but uh, but it, it, any of my listeners out there that uh, are in the New York area that can can get in certainly encourage them to uh, to do so. Um, and then now that you have released uh, or about to release a recording, and you've got the. Uh, the multimedia project uh, about ready to premiere. What's next for you? Uh, got a bunch of writing projects uh, coming up after this. We well, we do the Panthers from Nature in New York, then we record here in New York, and we do it in Toronto in November, um, mm -hmm. and then do some of the editing and mixing for a little while. I have a great engineer I like working with up there, David Trevor Smith. But then the next projects for uh, next year. Uh, I have a quintet record in the can that I mentioned with uh, Mark Elias, Dan Weiss, Yuhan Su's playing vibraphone, and Christopher Hoffman's playing cello. So that's sort of a smaller group uh, album. Uh, have a duo with Mark Elias, that uh, improvised duo that'll come out. And then the writing projects, I have a string orchestra and percussion and woodwinds project with Florian Hoffner, who's a really great piano player. Uh, he was in New York for a while, but he teaches at uh, Memorial University in Newfoundland. Um, and then the string quartet that I'm bringing down from Canada uh, for the Patterns from Nature project, the Molinari String Quartet. Um, they were on the violin concerto project uh, that I did a few years ago, and I wrote them my first string quartet. Uh, we got some commission money, so I'm going to be writing them a second string quartet next year. So mm. I'm excited to wonderful. That. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like you got plenty to keep you busy and out of trouble. I want to keep out of trouble or the good kind of trouble. Yeah, the good kind of trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Oh, that's just wonderful. You know, Quincy, I try to be very thorough in the questions that I ask, but I know I'm not perfect. So one of the last questions I have for you, is there anything else you would like to add or tell my audience that I haven't asked you about? No, you, you were all great questions. And I mean, we could, we could have got a lot longer on any of these. Well, thank you. They were fantastic. The only thing I would maybe like to add back into the you were asking me about why I wrote for strings and we got talking about brass. Um, the only thing I'd maybe like to add is, uh, I mean, I grew up uh, as I mentioned, going to the library and listening to music all the time. One of my favorite records uh, when I was younger was, was the Emerson String Quartet playing the Bartok cycle of string quartets. Okay. And so that has always been just in the back of my head as like one of the greatest sounds ever. So that that is the reason that, uh, you know, I, since then I've gone on and studied tons of string quartets, like both scores and listening, you know, Shostakovich yeah. and, and Beethoven and then uh, Liberty and you know, the, yeah, all the 
you know, tons of strength tests after that. But uh, yeah, that's you know the sound and trying to blend it with what I do. There's there's an interesting insight here that I'm having, and that is I remember in my music history classes when we were first studying string quartet and how the string quartet you know came about, and that the, the idea was this music was not written necessarily originally. I'm I'm going back to Haydn for public consumption. This was music making among equals. In other words, the composer was writing music to impress other composers. Hmm. And how would you like to have been a fly on the wall for that string quartet that had Haydn, Mozart, and Beethoven? And I don't know who the fourth was, hmm. you know, with the idea that they were trying to write music that was this music among equals. And I think that sort of thing, uh, you know, some of times composers' most intimate thoughts and most uh, uh, maybe creatively divergent thoughts come out in string quartets. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and I, being a brass player, I go, well, what about, well, the brass quintet is a latecomer. And so is the woodwind quintet for that matter. But the, the string quartet really sets, sets the bar for that kind of very intimate intellectual dialogue, musically, musical dialogue. And so I think that, uh, you know, I agree. I think the Bartok string quartets are just a, just a, a awesome set of music as, as well as Shostakovich's. I, I, I love those works as well. And uh, but I am a big fan of Mozart's yeah. uh, string quartets and and uh, uh, you know there's just uh, they're just uh, like I said there's a it, it's sort of like uh, it's sort of like it's like the boutique of their mm -hmm. of their work it's it's like you know you've got um, I, I very often use this when I talk about music we've got pop music which is kind of like the big box retail store and then we have we have uh, art music, which includes classical music, jazz music, and all of its variations that we've discussed. And that really is more very specialized boutique kind of music. It's a, it's a thing that, that is, that has a, a very high level of, of uh, quality uh, and depth and, you know, say more so over what, uh, what you might, might get in some other things. So yeah, I I think uh, usage of of strings is 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 awesome. I uh, and there's just something about it too when you think about uh, the great artists that have recorded with strings: Charlie Parker, Chet Baker, Clifford Stan Brown, Getz. Stan Getz, Stan Getz, exactly. Yeah, and he even did one with choir, which I thought was a little weird. Hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Yeah, I got to dig that one up. I don't think I've. Yeah, heard that. yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember. I think, I think, I think it's on. It's on one called Blue. Let's uh, see, is it Blue Velvet? Hmm. I can't remember now. Uh, I remember hearing it many, many years ago. But, but anyways, uh, I think there's just wonderful, wonderful sonic um, variables out there, and uh, your music is certainly an excellent example of that. So, I. I uh, two tiny things i would say sure younger listeners listening i would uh, that are leaning more in the jazz universe like the the wc and the ravel string quartets are amazing introductions yes. uh, to getting into this universe of string quartets because you'll hear a lot of familiar colors and sounds that they kind of relate to 
the jazz harmonic universe. And, and they're amazing. I mean, the, the I use the WC one when, when for teaching string writing. I mean, it's, it's just uh, the perfect example of like register range and the language is familiar to, to mm -hmm. jazz composers. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's great stuff. Well, Quinson, uh, thank you for taking what? time to talk with me today and I appreciate I, it really so much. To meet you and, and shoot the <laughs> shoot the breeze. That's shoot right. Breeze. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. And I want to wish you all the best with what I'm sure is going to be a continued uh, successful musical future. Thank you so much. You bet. My discovery composer of the week is Electra Paravolaris. Described as a classical star of the future in a BBC introducing article, Electra Paravolaris, who was born in 1996, is a composer and pianist from Scotland of British and Greek heritage. Electra has been commissioned by ensembles, including the London Symphony Orchestra, London Symphonietta, the BBC Singers, BBC Concert Orchestra, and Scottish Chamber Orchestra. She was selected for the Royal Scottish National Orchestra Composers Hub, Scottish Chamber Orchestra, New Stories Scheme, and London Symphony Orchestra Sound Hub Scheme. Recent premieres include two performances in the Queen Elizabeth Hall of Commissions, Electra composed for the BBC Concert Orchestra, one of which was the culmination of Electra's work with the Streetwise Opera when she created an opera in collaboration with a homeless shelter for women and children in East London as part of Streetwise Opera's re-sound project. Electra is a 2022-2023 Royal Philharmonic Society composer, and her new RPS Composers Program Commission was premiered at the Pristine Festival in August of 2023. In 2021, Electra graduated with distinction from a master's degree in composition at London's Royal Academy of Music on the Master Music composition course, with further studies in piano after being war awarded an RAM Trust Scholarship, a grant from the Scottish International Education Trust, and a Von Williams Bursary Award from the RVW Trust. She was awarded the Diploma of the Royal Academy of Music Award in Composition for an outstanding final portfolio, as well as the Licentiate of the Royal Academy of Music Award. In July 2019, she graduated with double first-class honors from the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland as a Bachelor of Music Joint Honor Student of Composition and Piano, winning the Patrons Fund Prize from the Royal College of Music for Composition, as well as receiving an endorsement in music education with distinction. While at the RCS, she won the Walter and Dinah Wolf Composition Award and was awarded the ABRSM Macklin Bursary for Piano Performance. 
She was awarded both Associated Board of the Royal Schools of Music and Conservatoire Scholarships. Electra was awarded a 2021-2022 Royal Academy of Music Fellowship, working as a composer with Open Academy, the Community and Participation Department. Last year, she began a Doctor of Philosophy in Composition at the University of Oxford, generously supported by Magdalen College's Leon E. and Iris L. Bijan Graduate Scholarship. She won the University of Oxford Henfrey Prize for Composition earlier this year. Electra was commissioned by BBC Radio 3, representing her generation of young female composers in the Seven Ages of Women Woman Project, and had her piece, Eternal Waking, performed by the BBC Singers in a Radio 3 lunchtime concert and broadcast as part of International Women's Day on the 8th of March, 2020. Electra was commissioned by the London Symphony Orchestra to compose a piece for LSO principal flautist Gareth Davies, which was premiered in summer of 2021. Her music was performed by musicians of the London Symphony Orchestra in the LSO Sound Hub Showcase Concert in 2019 and was selected from an international call for scores and performed by the Hebrides Ensemble. She was also awarded the Kimmy Composition Prize, resulting in a commission from Live Music Now Scotland, supported by the Kimmy Trust. Her music was featured in a BBC Radio 3 Live Lunchtime Concert on March 8, 2018, following an open call for scores. Electra was awarded an ABRSM Macklin Bursary for her piano studies and regularly performs her own music, both as a solo pianist and in ensembles with other musicians. In 2020, she composed a piece for sitar, uh, for sitar player, Yazdeep Singh Degun, after being selected for Safa Ensembles Composing for Scheme for Emerging Composers. Recent commissions have included a new vocal work for the Marion Concert, released on their album, A Winged Woman, in the autumn of 2023, and a London Symphonetta Live Music Now Theatre of Sound Commission, where Electra worked with families living with dementia to create a new opera which told their stories, exploring music and memory. This year, she was commissioned by the Glasgow Barons to compose a new concerto for soprano saxophone and orchestra, which was premiered in August of 2023. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube performance of Paravolaris's Chessmen, performed by Pasha Monarov, flute, Malcolm Johnston, viola, and Colin Alexander, cello. Well, that wraps episode number 160. My show notes, along with links to artist websites, Recording label websites, YouTube videos of artists' performances are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week, I will be interviewing a singer-songwriter based in the Czech Republic, Tony Rose. 
Other upcoming interviews include Nashville-based Americana singer-songwriter Mike Thomas, New York City-based trumpet player Dave Adewumi, Eric Sandin, lead singer of the band Buttercup, and New York City-based jazz vocalist Lucy Yegazarin. So don't touch that dial. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at u-w-m dot e-d-u. So until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.